Amen. Have a seat if you would. And we're over in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. The title this morning is called, is called The Testimony of a Pagan King. The Testimony of a Pagan King. Uh, then, there are two ways to learn something, uh, if you're not familiar with that. Two ways to learn something, and there are others, but for the sake of illustration. One way is the easy way, and the other way is the... Okay, that wasn't very enthusiastic right there. I think there's some folks here who, who are learning things the hard way. Um, I, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to learn things the hard way. And sometimes not only do I learn it the hard way, I have to do it twice. And I really don't like that. Uh, I'll give you an example. It was years ago, you know, when I was still a bachelor, you know, we used to ski a lot. Brother Joe, remember that? We used to, we used to ski a lot. And, uh, but at that time, you know, whenever you go, you know, nobody likes to go skiing alone. So there was a certain group of bachelors uh, that, you know, at a moment's notice could be available to ski. So if you happen to score, uh, uh, you know, lift tickets and a hotel for two days in Bryan Head, you know, there's a couple guys you could call who, if they're not working, they can pretty much make it. And so I happened to do that. I had scored some, a uh, friend of mine was going up there, said, we got an extra room and we got lift tickets. I said, I'm there. It's a Saturday, no problem. And so I called one, one guy. He couldn't make it. Then I called my old, my old skiing ace, Joe Hightower. And I said, Joe, man, this is what I got. Brian Head, rooms, lift tickets, what's up? And he goes, we're there, bro. And I'm like, yes, yes. Start getting my stuff together, throwing things in a bag, you know, getting my skis out. And then something within me, something says to me, not audibly, you know, if, you, if we're a Christian, we know that God speaks to us through different ways. Maybe it's a scripture verse or maybe you hear something on the radio and it's more than just something you hear on the radio. It's like, wait a minute, there's something here. So God just, and, and I, you know, at that time I did not really, you know, I did not really acknowledge that it was God, uh, but I, I should have because I would have never thought this on my own. And the, the, the little voice inside of me, and I, you, if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about, was like, don't go to Brian Head. There's something wrong with your car. And I immediately began to argue with that. I'm like, no, no, there's nothing wrong with my car. And, and, and I, mean, I mean, it's already been confirmed. It's not going to cost me anything but gas. And Joe's going. And I mean, how can I call Joe and tell him, well, you know, we can't go, Joe. Why not? Something's wrong with my car. What is it? I don't know, but we can't go. You know, all mad and no, no. And so I kind of, you know, argue my thing. And, you know, Joe comes over and we load up and we're on our way. And I sort of forget about it. We're praising the Lord the whole way there. You know, worship music on as loud as I can have it, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about things that, you know, single Christian men talk about, whatever. And and so if you've been to Brian Head, you know that the, the last stretch, maybe the last probably three or four, maybe even three miles. It's not that much, but it's really slow, and it's just, it's a grind uphill, and it's really, you know, back and forth, and, and all of a sudden, my engine light comes on, and my engine light, and then steam out of the front of the hood, and I'm like, no, and my first thought was, there's something wrong with your car. No, man, we're like right here. Now, if there was something wrong with my car, why couldn't it have happened before we left, like before I even got on the freeway? No, we're like, we've driven three hours, whatever it is, we're almost there. And it's like, no. <sighs> anyway, so, you know, we pull over and I'm, I'm just as mad as a hornet now because, you know, and, and we were going to get a couple of hours of skiing in that day. And, and so, so we, we managed to limp into the hotel, parked it underneath. And, and off to the ski slopes for about two runs before they shut it down. 
But, you know, we, we got, so there, that was my skiing for the day. No big deal. And then we start to talk about this car and, well, we ought to go look at it. And, and it's cold, you know, and we're down, and, 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 and it's the thermostat, okay? Okay, no big deal. So I, I call my friend and say, hey, man, let me borrow your car. Got to run to Cedar City and get a thermostat. No big deal. Drive down. We have dinner there. Grab the thermostat. Make our way back. And I'm not sure if we fixed it that night or early in the morning. I kind of think it was early in the morning. And in and, and, and this particular car, the thermostat was in a weird place. And I just remember that, that we, we, you know, we're, we're trying to fix it. And it wasn't a big deal. And, and Joel was actually underneath the car. And, and, he, and he had a wrench, a socket. And he was, remember this, Joel? And, and he's, and he's tight. And we got it on. And it's seated correctly. We got it, you know, and, we're, we're, and, he's, and I'm on top shining the light. Going, okay, yeah, it looks good, ma'am. And, and, and he's just kind of, you know, he's putting a little too much, a little too much muscle in it. And he's just, eh, and like, eh, and I'm like, and I'm watching the car kind of like just race just a little bit. Not like it's, you know, and I, I said, I go, hey, Joe, hey, go, whoa, 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 snafu. And yeah, right, right. We break the bolt. And I'm like, no, no, this is going to cost a small fortune in Cedar City, Right. So now I'm really mad, and, and, I, and, and it's like, okay, we got we to gotta, you know, go to my friend, and we got to get it towed into Cedar City, and, and we find a garage the next day, and, and the guy's like, yeah, <laughs> yes, sir, yes, sir. Where are you from, Las Vegas? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was a nightmare. We got a little bit. Of, you know what? And I'm, the whole time we did ski, I'm like mad. I'm going down the slopes. I am fired up. All I can do now is think, you know, maybe I'll just fall and like hurt myself really bad. And I won't have to deal with my car. I don't know. I'm so mad. And you know what? All of that to say that, that there's two ways to learn, right? You can learn the easy way or you can learn the that was a little more enthusiastic there. Yeah, you kind of feel my pain. And, and, and what I would have saved myself if I just would have said, forget it, Joe, can't go. And if I would have just been a little more spiritual and said, hey, something's wrong with my car. I don't know what it is, man. Forget it. It's not worth it, man. Oh, and, you know, for a couple of measly trips down a ski slope, it, it you know, uh, it was a hard way. And, you know, like uh, uh, Frank, one of our elders, always says, you know what? Uh, uh, it's not the thousands of bolts that I've attached, that I remember, it's the one that I broke, <laughs> that I remember. And, and maybe you have a broken bolt that you remember too, right? Okay, so anyway, um, in this chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to give um, uh, a testimony. And um, uh, in chapter t t 2, verse 20 and 21, Daniel gives sort of a theme of the book of Daniel and that is the sovereignty of God. That is that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to, however he wants to, wherever he wants to, using whoever he wants to, without ever explaining that to anyone. That's his sovereignty. And he says this, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. Is that still a current word for today. Does God still do that today? Okay, you agree. God, God still does that today. History is the story of God moving within civilizations and nations 
to accomplish his ultimate purpose. And God is still every bit in control of the nations and the kings, queens, monarchs, governments, whatever. He's in charge of all of that. And we don't always understand it, but he is. But remember, he has a purpose in uh, removing kings and establishing kings. All right. And so here in God's eternal word, we have a pagan king sharing his testimony about his encounter with God. This man represents power and might and wisdom, the very best that the world has to offer. This man is number one on the Forbes list of wealthiest men in the world. In fact, he's the only one on the list because he'll kill everyone else <laughs> that's not related to him that would even try to get on the list. How secure is the Lord that he would let in the eternal word of God a pagan king get a paragraph? Go ahead, Nebuchadnezzar, write your story. And, and for, for the annals of time, for all the power brokers and the power-hungry people and, and, and those who, who, who are greedy for success and power and might and, and, and world banking and economics and, the, and the, the most wealthiest people in the world, God says, I want King Nebuchadnezzar to leave his story for everyone to read. That no matter how powerful, no matter how mighty or strong you think you are, and indeed you are, that God is still bigger and stronger. Can you say amen to that? All right, here we go. Um, chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live on the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, um, uh, it seemed good to me to declare these things. No, Nebuchadnezzar, it is good that you declare those things, but it is God who's allowing you to declare these things, right? Um, and the words, therefore, it seemed good to me, uh, means it was beautiful before me. Uh, you know, it's a good thing to tell others what God has done in your life. It's a good thing to share your testimony, we call it. You're testifying to what the Lord has done. The scripture tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Because your story is powerful. It's unique. Nobody can take your story from you and say, no, that didn't happen. Or that was just coincidence. The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you've tasted of Jesus Christ and nobody can tell you you haven't. Or nobody can tell you that it, that, that was just some emotionalism. No, you've, you've met the Lord. Uh, a, a testimony encourages other people to seek the Lord. And, and, and not only that, it reinforces your life. I have a good friend of mine that I played basketball with, and I had a, 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 a God meeting with him at Whole Foods Market a few weeks ago. It was just a total God thing. And uh, Michael Burns is his name, a.k.a. Spider-Man, if you're a longtime Las Vegan or, you know, you grew up on the west side or whatever. And uh, Spider's still a legend on the west side. And he's still a legend in his own mind, but that's another story. Uh, I thought it was a wonderful conversation, right? People were walking by, who are you guys? It was just a bunch of tall dudes trying to get some, uh, you know, some meatless uh, uh, soy burgers or whatever they get. 
And uh, so, so, you know, he's not in fellowship right now, and I don't think he would mind me sharing this part of our conversation with you. Uh, and, and I said, where are you going to church, man? He goes, oh, I know, I know, Rich, I know, blah, blah. And he, he said, I know I need to be in fellowship, I know. I said, you do need to be in fellowship. He goes, but I work on Sunday. I go, Wednesday night. He's like, all right. And um, uh, so... Uh, he, 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 but he said this, he said, he said, no, Rich, he goes, he goes, no, listen, listen, I know I need to be in church, in fellowship, I know that, I know that. He said, but, but, but please understand what God did for me 25 years ago, what, what God has done in my life, you know, I do not take that lightly, and I never forget that. And I, and I remember him saying that, and I think, you, you know what he's saying is that, is that, you know, his story is that, you know, he was one of the most talented players at UNLV, one of, but, but he had issues, he had struggles, he had things he never could overcome, and it got so bad that he lost everything he had, and he's literally face down in the gutter. I mean, literally, you know, we talk about, man, I was kicked to the curb. No, he was literally kicked to the curb. And, and ended up doing a 128-day evaluation at Indian Springs and got born again there. And so he, he talks about the transformation that took place in his life. And it might have been, I don't even know, 25 years ago. And, and he says, I know I need to be in fellowship, but what God did for me, I think he was saying, it, it energizes me. I, I wake up every morning and, and I still feel the freshness of what happened 25 years ago. So when the Lord touches you, you never forget it. And that testimony fuels you to go on with the things of God, but it also encourages other people. Amen? You have a testimony. Don't hide it under a bushel like the song says. Let it shine. It's a good thing. Well, uh, just a little side note, after Nebuchadnezzar had his original dream, and he's about to have another dream, after he had his original dream, he said, surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you've been able to reveal this mystery. That's what he said. And after his friends survived the fiery furnace, if you were with us last week, Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him. Any people, he adds, nation tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there's no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Not bad for a king who lives in a land that is seeped in idolatry and that is seeped with all kinds of pagan rituals and even witchcraft. And he recognizes no one can do what this God did. Now, here's the thing. He's close to the kingdom of God, but he's not there yet. And I wonder how many people there are that are like that. Maybe even in this room. You're close to the kingdom, but you're not there yet. I remember being in that valley, being close, but not there. Being in church, but not born again. Hearing the message of the word of God, but not having surrendered my life yet. I, I remember being there, okay? And that's where Nebuchadnezzar is. Well, verse 4 through 9 says this. Um, he's writing his testimony. 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, the diviners came in and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God. Everybody say, my God. Okay, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And I related to uh, the dream to him, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen along with its interpretation. Notice that it says he is at ease. And that phrase is an idiom for prosperity. Uh, and it literally means to grow green and to be covered with leaves. It, it's just, it, it, it'll come up in a bit. It, he's, he's at ease in, 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 in Babylon. Uh, he's, he's, he's kicking back in Babylon. Uh, things, are, things are well in, in Babylon. Uh, he's he's, he's uh, got this amazing place around him, and, and, and he's just, he's just chilling. Uh, everything is going great. Uh, and, and verse 8 says, a- after he has these dreams and, and he invites all of these Chaldeans and diviners and astrologers, and uh, uh, they don't have a clue or they're not willing to tell him what they think the dream means, um, which is surprising to me that he even asked them because the last time he had a dream and he asked for what the dream was and the interpretation, they didn't have a clue. And I would think by now he would have fired all of them. You know, I just said, hey, listen, guys, you know what? Uh, you, you guys are all fired. I'm not going to kill you like I normally do. Just go to where all the other magicians and the, and, the, and the soothsayers and the diviners just go to where all they go. Go hang out at the diviners club or whatever you guys do. But you're, you're all done here. I mean, why even bother with these guys? Uh, well, he doesn't. But it says, finally, he comes to Daniel. And I ask, what took him so long? Why wouldn't he have gone to Daniel first? And you know what? Sometimes for some people, God is like the last resort. You know, they think, you know what? Well, you know, uh, you know, nothing's working so far. Let's try God. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And, and yet, you know what? If, if that's the last resort, that, that's at least you're there. At least you're there. And then he calls him Belshazzar, which is that uh, that name that he gave him according to the name of my God, which again makes me think that he's not fully surrendered to the one true God yet. Well, verse 10 through 18 says, Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant and it was food for all the beast of the field found shade under it and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches and all the living creatures fed themselves from it okay so far so good okay it's a tree and it's this is not just an ordinary tree this is a this is an amazing tree okay and, and this is this is a tree that that has has, has it stretches over the entire civilized world 
Verse 13, I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay in my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. Okay, all right. He shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop the tree down and cut off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And then it says, and let him. And so there's a, there's a, you would think it would say let it, but now there's a personification here. It goes from a tree and it transfers to a person. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones. And, and, and then you could, if this were a math equation, you draw a line and here's the summation in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. Okay, wow, that, that, that's it, that's it. Now, 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 what does that mean? Verse 19. Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was appalled for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. Uh, he's, he's, he's shuddering at the implications of, of this dream uh, because he knows what it represents. And the king maybe senses that. Maybe his, there was a countenance change. And he's been around Daniel long enough that, that he has maybe some kind of even a friendship with him. And you know, when a, when, when a friend is hurting, you can just look at their face and you go, what's going on? And you know there's more than just everything's okay. The king responded and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. Verse 22, it is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven away from mankind, and that your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field, uh, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the, with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you, you will, until, un, until, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever He wishes. And in that, it was commanded to leave the stump with its roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Wow. Okay, listen, Nebuchadnezzar is one of the few who gets to know in advance exactly what 
this test is meant to produce. That's, that's pretty cool. How, how many of you would like it if, if, if there was a test that was coming your way, some trial, some difficulty, and because God is a God of purpose, He has a reason for it, how, how would you like it if it was like, okay, I mean, you woke up and you just got this, this Im, Im, strong impression from the Holy Spirit that you're about to enter into a season, it's going to be a tough season, this is what's going to happen, and here is why it's happening. And oh, by the way, it's going to be a season of seven, and in this case, seven years. I mean, would that make it easier to know this is coming? Kind of tape your ankles, you know, gird up your loins, get ready. This season, we're about to enter into a tough season. Would that make it easier for most of us? You know, it, we just, it, just, it just comes right on us, and we have no idea. And in the midst of it, we're like, God, why is this happening, God? And sometimes it's like one thing after the next, and you go, wait a minute, Lord, we're trying to be faithful here. We're trying to serve you. God, we're, 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 there's no obvious sin in our life, God. What is going on? Wouldn't it be great if you, if you kind of knew that and, and knew that there was a purpose? And, and in the midst of it, sometimes we lose track. Like, man, God's, God's doing something, and, and it's not going to last forever. There's a, there's a season that we're going to enter into, but... But boy, it sure would be nice to know that in advance, wouldn't it? You know, like, that, that, would, that would be nice to know. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't get to know that. But, but he gets that, that, that distinction to know. And, and Daniel, Daniel, once again, hits the nail on the head. Bang! Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, what's his response now? Look at verse 27. Therefore, O king, Daniel says, May my advice be pleasing to you. In other words, King, may, may I please give you some advice here? If I may. A suggest, you don't have to do it. Just a suggestion, King. I would not want to tell you what to do. <laughs> you know. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. King, King, Chad, you, you're a harsh man. You're a, you're a brutal man. Uh, you know, this, practice righteousness, put away your sins. Uh, instead of subjugating and abusing the poor, uh, show mercy to the poor. And, and maybe there'll be a prolonging here. Um, listen, Daniel cared enough to confront Nebuchadnezzar with the truth. You know how difficult that must have been to stand before the most powerful man on earth and tell him you're about to go into a season where you're going to be like a beast in the fields. That's a hard thing. But you know what? He cared enough to tell him what he should do as well. Stop sinning. Do acts of righteousness. Stop the iniquity. Show mercy to the poor. John the Baptist had a word for the religious day, the religious leaders in his day. He goes, you know what? Bring forth fruit in keeping of repentance. Yeah, you guys say that you're changed. Where's the fruit? Bring it on. We want to see that you've, you know, you mean, oh man, praise the Lord. I love God with all my heart. And then you see, you go, wait a minute, you know, I just, I just noticed how you reacted to what you said. And anybody can have a bad day, but where are the fruit? Yeah, we should, we should have fruit. I mean, if you've really changed, let it show, he says. Prove it by your actions. 
And then you know what? I thought about this. Do we care enough to tell the truth, even if it's difficult? Oh, boy, I tell you what. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Ah, that's not always easy because sometimes it's confrontive and it's taken as like, you know, well, who are you to judge? Sometimes we think, well, you know, who am I to judge? But, you know, God gives you a word. Maybe it's a supernatural word of knowledge for someone else, but it's a word of correction. And it's like, man, I am not going to tell that person that. First of all, what if I'm wrong? Second of all, who am I to tell anybody anything about their life? Third of all, you know what? I'm afraid. And fourth of all, I, I don't like confrontation. Now, there's some people who have the spiritual gift of confrontation. It goes right along with criticalness, right? The two go together. And they feel like it's a spiritual, it's not a spiritual gift. You know, I don't know, I don't like confrontation. I don't like to tell, to, to, to bring a word of correction. You know what, I, 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 we have to be humble enough to receive it, but we also have to be humble enough to speak the truth and say, you know, sister, let me, let me just tell you, this is not the man for you to marry. I mean, it's hard to tell someone things like that. To, 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 to speak into someone's life that's a word that like you think, man, who am I to tell anybody how they live their life? And that when you can see all of the red flags and, and, and you just sense it, you know, it's hard to speak that Daniel is willing to tell the king the truth. And you know what? I promise you that the, the magicians and the soothsayers and the Chaldeans, they were not willing to do that. And I think that's another reason why he liked Daniel so much because Daniel told it straight. And secondly, he could trust Daniel. Daniel wasn't trying to become the next king. He wasn't trying to, 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 to win some award. Uh, he had no agenda other than God. And I think Nebuchadnezzar respected that. Maybe that's why he heard what all the other people had to say. And then he said, okay, okay, you're all fired. Oh, bring in Daniel. Bring in Daniel. Do you care enough to tell the truth even when it's difficult? Now, here's another key. The message has been delivered. And I just picture Daniel's just kind of maybe taking a step back and there's silence in the room. And, and, and now, King, it's up to you. And that's essentially. Because listen, the, the goal is to get him to bend the knee to the one true God. That's the goal. It's already been said that you would recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Okay, that's the goal right now. Couldn't Nebuchadnezzar have say, Daniel, I get it. No, I receive that. Now, now, you know, I don't necessarily want to be in this seven year trial, but but whether I am or whether I not, I no, I that's been turning in my heart, Daniel. I want to acknowledge before you that that he is the one true God and that I'm the most powerful man on the earth and I'm nothing without him. No, I want to do that. No, Daniel, don't turn away. Lead me in that. Let's do that right now. And maybe if he would have done that, the next part of the chapter wouldn't have happened. Maybe he could have avoided what was to come. Well, you can learn two different kinds of ways. You can learn the easy way, or you can learn the hard way. It's getting a little warm in here, Brother Jesse. Can you crank the air just a little bit? Maybe it's just me. Aire acondicionado, por favor. Si, ahora. Wow. Okay. Verse 28 through 30. 
All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Everybody say 12 months. Oh, that's a year, folks, in any calendar. (laughs) 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, the great. Uh, 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 And the king, I'm sorry, reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have, have built as as a royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty. Um, You know, judgment doesn't always come right away, does it? Galatians says, whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. The law of the harvest tells us you you don't always reap what you sow right away. You plant things in your garden. And uh, various things germinate faster than others. That's why you want to get those radishes in the ground as soon as the frost is over. Because they produce quickly. You can have some fruit. <laughs> or in this case, vegetable, I think. But things, yes, things germinate quick. Some spinach, a little bit forever. And it's like, where is the spinach? It's been three weeks, you know. I mean, we planted that thing. And anyway, there's all kinds of secrets. But, you know, things break ground Some fast, some slow. But nonetheless, just because we don't see any activity doesn't mean that nothing's happening. Just because everything's quiet on earth doesn't mean it's not seriously going on in heaven. He had 12 months to repent, right? He had 12 months to say, you know what, Daniel, can we have a little side meeting? Listen, about those words that you said, I think we need to talk further. We have no indication of another meeting. Maybe he puts it to rest. Maybe he doesn't believe. We don't know. But nothing changes. Babylon the Great, founded by Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah. This is an amazing, there is no other city that we could even liken it to today. None. Around the top of the wall were 250 watchtowers. There was a moat that surrounded the city. So if you wanted to attack the city, you had to get through the moat to get to the wall. Within the walls were 100 gates of brass. The tower in the hanging garden sat on a base that was 300 feet in breadth and rose to a height of 300 feet. Temple of Marduk contained a golden image of Bel and Ishtar. Two golden lions, a golden table, 40 feet long and 15 foot wide. Oh, would you not want to have that table now? (laughs) Yeah. And a human figure of solid gold, 18 feet high. The city had had 53 temples and 180 altars to Ishtar, one of their gods. Babylon, the Magnificent, and it's a cool spring day, and Nebuchadnezzar is out on the wall, and he's just chilling like a villain, if I can use that terminology, and, and, and he looks at Babylon, the Magnificent. You know that the, the theme for the city of Babylon was this, Babylon the Great meant uh, built to last. That was, no, I'm just kidding, that wasn't it, no thinking isn't that like a tool thing no no uh oh babylon oh power might religious worship extravagance he's the ruler of the world not just his province that's why the kings that would come after him would be lesser than him because they would split up oh and he's looking and he's going who put this city together me 
Who built this place? Me. Yeah. Who's the man? Me. Babylon. Oh, can you imagine? At the height of its power. <laughs> oh, but then there's that word that Daniel said. And it's been a year. I don't see no Medes or Persians, and I'm still the man. Ah. Look at verse 31. It says, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has been decreed. Sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. Everybody say, immediately. The word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Immediately, Babylon the Great and this, this wor the, the world in, in, an, in an instant God can take a leader down. In, in a flash. He may have worked his whole life to get to the top and not recognizing that God is the one who raises those to the top, it was gone immediately, that fast. C.S. Lewis said Nebuchadnezzar was treated with severe mercy. And it was severe that God had cut him down like a tree and, and taken everything that was precious in his life, even his mind. And we'll get to the mercy part in just a bit. Verse 34 through 37 says this, this is at the end of this season. Now, now, when we go from verse 33 to verse 34, it's seven years, folks. Seven years. Okay? Seven years of being homeless. Seven years of, of not even that. I mean, there's no, there's no place to get, to get. There's no rescue shelter. There's no uh, uh, support group for uh, world dictators who were the, you know, the baddest man on the planet who are no longer in power. I mean, there's no place to go. <laughs> you, know, you know, hey, man, I was way bigger than you. No, listen, dude, I was King Nebuchadnezzar. What are you talking about? You start fighting in the group, you know, I don't know who was bigger. I, I, you know, there's no place to He's in the field, and, and, he's, and he's, he's lost his mind. Man, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Man, you got to see him, man. His, his hair is like, like that of an eagle, and he's got these long claws, and he's, and he's, and he's insane. He's, we don't, one minute he was in charge of the world, the next minute he's out in the fields with the cows. It's crazy, and he's going to be there seven years, and you can't touch him. You can't harm him because they thought it was uh, uh, culturally or, or more superstitiously, it was, it, was a, it was to bring bad luck on you if you would uh, uh, do harm to someone who, who, who had some mental issues, mentally insane. And, 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 and he's out there. I mean, how is he surviving? How is he making it? I'll tell you how. That's where the mercy part comes in. I mean, he's out there, and it's a, it's a deplorable situation. You can't help him. You can't do anything for him. But God is there the whole time providing every day for everything Nebuchadnezzar needs. <sighs> Seven years. 
Seven years. Seven long every day. He, he, he probably, he, doesn't, he may not even know who he is. He, he doesn't even, he may not even remember Babylon. He, man, seven years. Why couldn't it have been seven days? <laughs> seven months would be tragic. Do you know there are times when people have to go out into the fields for a while? Not literally. God takes his people places to do something within them. And it's hard. But God's there. He's providing. And he's got a purpose and he's got a plan. All right, let's look at the next phase. So we, gotta, we can't skip seven years and just go to verse 34 because we do that. We read it and go, okay, okay, he's in the field. But, okay, no, seven years, verse 34 through 37. But at the end of that period, oh, hallelujah, come on, church, it's, it's over. It's been seven years. Time's up. He may not even know that it's been seven years. He's been in the field so long, he's not keeping track of days. But it's over. Something's been released in heaven. All right, it's time. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. Woo! And my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored uh, him who lives forever. Here is the testimony of a pagan king who was the ruler of the world. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth were accounted as, are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand, nor say to him, what hast thou done? Folks, that will preach right there. That will preach. What a testimony. Boy, Nebuchadnezzar has changed. <laughs> Verse 36 and 37, at that time my reason returned to me. So first of all, he receives his, his reason. His, 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 his mind comes back to him. And my majesty... And splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was established in my sovereignty, in my kingdom, and surpassing. Everybody say surpassing. Listen, surpassing greatness was added to me. I would suggest to you that the end was better than the beginning. And he has, he's been gone for seven years. And he comes back with more, but with the right perspective. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true, his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Can you say amen? If Nebuchadnezzar was here, he would say, listen, that's my testimony. I'm sticking to it. You'd all stand up and applaud. Woohoo! Whoa, you go, most powerful man in the world who now realizes that, you know what, it ain't about me. He doesn't even say what he'll do to the people who don't worship him, uh, uh, the, the Lord. He doesn't even address them. It's all about God. Oh, his eyes are fixed on him. Well, listen, some dismiss this account, uh, uh, that, that, and they say that it never it's unhistorical, it never happened. But, but, you know, from 582 B.C., to 575 B.C. in the Babylonian records, there's no history of Nebuchadnezzar's leadership. It's almost as if he wasn't around. 
Here's a summary, guys. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he reserves the right to humble the proud. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble and reserves the right to humble the proud if he so sees fit. God will go to great lengths to show us that he is the Lord. He will travel a great distance to come and rescue you and I. Thirdly, God will be exalted among the nations. Psalm 83, 18 says that they may know that you whose name alone is the Lord or Jehovah Yahweh are the most high over all the earth. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Listen, to take the treasures of worship was an act of defiance against the gods of that land, against the gods of that nation. Nebuchadnezzar probably thought because the instruments of praise and worship that he had captured when he captured the people of God were in his storehouse, that his gods were greater, and no doubt that he was better. <clears throat> but by the end of chapter 4, he knows the truth. And so it turns out that this whole thing is a missionary journey. It turns out that God sends four teenagers to Babylon, the most wicked place and the most powerful place on earth, and sends them there to be missionaries, to go and, and stand strong and to share the good news and to be a light in a place of great darkness. It turns out that God takes everything from these young men and he puts them in Babylon and he has a purpose and he has a plan and it's so that somebody would reach the king that's on the top. Where has God planted you that he wants you to be a light? Where has God sent you that you will go and you will share the good news of what Christ has done in your life? I submit to you that you are where you are because God has planted you there and there's a purpose and a reason behind it. <sighs> and, you know, what will it take for you? What will it take for you to bend the knee, to surrender? To those who are Christian, what will it take what will it take for you to, to, to take that step, to, to, to not hold back and, and hold on to things so tightly, but to say, you know what, Lord, I'm all yours. It's all, everything I have is yours. God, I'm tired of holding back. I'm tired of just kind of playing church and just being religious. No, God, I give everything that I have to you, God. And, and I, man, I want to make that stand. It's all yours, God, everything. I mean, what will it take? What will it take for you if you're not a follower of Christ to, to let go of your pride maybe or your hurt or, or whatever it is that's holding you back? See, I knew what it was now, what it was for me that held me back. What is it that kept me? Well, well, it was a little bit of fear. It was a little bit of sense of, of surrendering all. And it was that sense of having to change my life when I wasn't ready to change. No, no, listen, I'm still going to... God, can I just have a little bit of the throne of my life? I mean, you want me to get totally off the throne, but I guess I want to have at least, you know, uh, I want to just kind of sit on the throne of my life. And the Lord's like, no, man, it can't be that way. You know, he doesn't share that throne with anybody else. And you have to come to a place where you go, okay, Lord, you know what? It's your throne. Sit on it. <laughs> and I will humbly bow before you. 
You know what? Let me close with this. The antidote for pride is praise, worship, and thanksgiving. The antidote for pride is praise, worship, and thanksgiving. Because it is real hard to focus on you when you're praising God, worshiping God, and offering thanks. Because you're deflecting and thank you, God, for what you've done. God, you're mighty. God, you're awesome. But you know what? We could still do it then because, you know, we're prideful people. And we could be like, hey, man, no, nobody prays like me. I'm a praying fool, man. I praise the Lord like, no, man, I always be, I don't know about you, but I'll be giving thanks. Okay, we get it, right? You're prideful in your praise and worship and thanksgiving. We could do that too. But you know what I mean. When we're, and that's where Nebuchadnezzar had to come. He had to come to a place of acknowledging and, 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 and worshiping and praising God. And, and you know what? When he did that, his focus wasn't on anything else. And now it wasn't just the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. Now it was my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is, the will, uh, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's it. So, hey, Thanksgiving, right? That's not just a season for Christians. That's an everyday thing. And when we're praising and worshiping, our eyes are on him, you know, it, it, changes, it changes our whole perspective. And I know you could, we could give testimonies to, uh, 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 throughout the night of just of, of things that God has done in our life. So let's pray. Bill, come on up. We're going to do a missions offering. Um, speaking of missions, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today and your grace and your mercy and, and this, this weather and, and this place that we have and the fellowship that we have in Jesus. Lord, that, that Daniel was able to go before the king because he had a relationship with the king. And Lord, that we would have strong relationships with one another as well. Lord, I, I pray for anyone here who is, who is far from you uh, uh, or maybe they're close to you. The king had probably the most spiritual young men on the planet right in his court. And yet he was far from you. But yet you used them to bring him to you. And that maybe today someone would say, you know what? I've never really bowed my heart before the Lord. I mean, I haven't. I, I, I've, given, I've, I've acknowledged who God is. I've believed he's a way to heaven, but not the way. And, and I, I, I do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and this, this afternoon, that today, just like Nebuchadnezzar, who came to his senses, today you would say, yes, I need that. I need, I need Jesus in my life. And, and maybe I don't understand it all, but my heart is churning within me. And, and I need that. If that's you and you just feel like maybe you're far from God, but you want Jesus in your life, uh, you want a relationship with the one true God. You want to step into the destiny that he has for you. Nebuchadnezzar's destiny wasn't just to be the king of Babylon. It was to be a man of God who would be king of Babylon. And he got it. He got it. And maybe that's you. If that's you and you're just like, I'm just a, maybe there's just even something churning and bursting within you, say, I need that. Would you raise your hand that I would pray with you this, this afternoon? Yes, that's me. Uh, I'm, I'm, yep, amen, I need God in my life. And I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge it before these folks here. Anyone at all who would say yes to that? 